My name is Sean Jordan. Welcome to the Adaptive Outdoorsman Podcast. Here we'll be discussing the history and legacy behind disabled hunters, trappers, anglers, and how they adapt and persevere in the woods, on the line, and on the water. Podcast. I'd like to introduce today's guest, Jenna Waller, skull artist and host and producer of Skullbound Chronicles. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. We're both Midwesterners, so we won't have a problem chatting <laughs> and finding topics to talk about. <laughs> finding topics and chatting, that's not the problem. It's getting hanging up afterwards because oh. we both know it's that Midwestern goodbye. Well, <laughs> it's time to go 10 hours later. That's true. That's true. That's because we're so nice. Yeah. yeah. We, we we can't leave without having a 10-hour conversation on what was best. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. So what got you start in the outdoors? Well, um, my I was the second daughter of my parents. They only had two kids. I think my dad really wanted a boy and uh, didn't get one, got me. Um And so my joke has always been, so he turned me into one, but you can't really, I I guess I just did, but you can't really joke about that anymore, but it's true. He really nurtured in me this love of the outdoors. And I was, I was naturally like that. My sister is very cerebral, always had her head buried in a book and, you know, very indoorsy. And I couldn't be the opposite. I was always outside. I grew up in the country. We grew I grew up in a town called Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, it's right in between Madison and Milwaukee. And uh, I was, I grew up eight miles out of town. So we were always, I was always outside catching frogs, playing in the mud, you know, scrounging as I call it. And um, my dad just noticed in me a love of nature. And so he would actually let me, you know, take along with him when he would go pheasant hunting and sit in the duck blinds with him. And eventually that uh, led to me going into hunter safety when I was 12 and uh, we used to go to South Dakota every year, road tripping from Wisconsin for the bird hunt and really just, you know, was influenced by my dad into the great outdoors. And then I picked up a bow my freshman year in college. I had sat in the trees with my high school boyfriend and my dad while I was in high school because he had just started whitetail hunting around that time. Um, but I was a freshman in college. My dad called me and said, I, I shot a buck last night. I can't find it. And I only went to college at Whitewater, which was 10 minutes from my house. And he said, you want to come home and help me look? I'm like, Heck yeah. So I beat feet at home. Um, he was hunting just down the road out in the country, uh, got permission on this in this place, in this woods. And the woods butted up against a really nice, huge cornfield. And so we went to the stand and we went to where he had shot the buck. And we went to where he had marked it, where he left off. And we just went through the cornfield and looking at tracks and trying to find blood. And I remember literally getting on a track and I followed it a bit and it looked like it was dragging sort of diagonal through the corn stalks. And I remember peeking my head and then peeking my head and peeking my head through every row. And I noticed that it started to, it looked like almost stumble. And I was getting more excited and more excited. And sure enough, I peeked my head through one of the rows and I saw the big white belly of my dad's buck. And I screamed, dad, dad, I found him. I found him. And my dad came rounding over and I, my dad is just this chill dude. He's six, three, you know, he was a, a really good athlete his whole life, kind of this big personality, but never like super excited. 
And I'd never seen him that excited. And I remember thinking like, I want to know what that's like. Like that looks amazing. Cause he was just elated. I was super excited for him too. Just looking at this nice book. And, and this was 1989 and, um, you know, my bangs were about 12 inches tall in the pictures. (laughs) Welcome to the eighties. And uh, anyway, we, so I, uh, helped him drag it out and helped him with the whole process and was just enthralled. And then that same year in college, uh, oh, and he, the fact that when I heard him tell the story to other people, he equated the excitement of finding that buck to the birth of his two daughters. No joke. So I'm like, okay, I, I want to see what this is like. So I bought, I, I then, uh, actually it wasn't much long cause it was, was the fall season of 1989, I believe. And I met another girl in college, a friend of my roommates who had, uh, was a bow hunter. And I just remember talking to her and it was one of those moments of like, well, if she could do it. I could do it. You know, I'd never really thought about it much. I just liked enjoying the woods and the tree stands. And I remember, you know, trying to pull my dad's bow back and trying to pull my boyfriend's bow back, not knowing much about the bows. And um, so she's like, well, you got to get a bow that fits you, you know, that you can tune it down so you can pull it back and then build yourself up. And Mm -hmm. she kind of just gave me some instruction. And I was like, heck yeah. So I went to this bow shop in Milwaukee, got fitted with a Darton Jr. (laughs) And it was like a kid's bow. But I, you know, I was pulling 40, I got up to pulling 40 pounds, got a doe that year at that next fall. And so literally that's over 30 years ago, I've been a bow hunter and that was my start into the world of big game hunting. And, um, how I started Skullbone TV was, geez, now it was about 14 years ago. I had gone through a divorce and I had met my now ex. Um, we had both been in bow hunter magazine together and he said, you know, we started dating. He was from Montana. I was from Wisconsin and he was producing Nosler's Magnum TV on the outdoor channel. And he said, why don't we do a show? Why don't you host a show? There's, there's no solo female hosted shows out there at the time. I think Melissa, I think Melissa Bachman and I might've started our shows at the same time who I absolutely adore. So, um, but there weren't many solo female hosted shows out there. And so, um, we gathered, we, I moved to Montana We gathered a bunch of footage for six months. We actually pitched our, and you know, the world life is about timing, in my opinion. You know, when thing, when opportunities come at you, you have to make your own opportunities, but a lot of what happens and how you deal with that is timing. Well, we pitched it at SHOT Show to the Sportsman's Channel and they were all over it. They said, absolutely. And so I, um, you know, nine years was on the Sportsman's Channel And then as TV has definitely evolved in the last half decade, uh, during that ninth year, I dabbled a little bit with digital and going digital because a lot of my partners were really wanting to go digital because digital, you can watch it anytime. You can share the links. Um, You know, digital is actually a lot bigger than some network hunting TV networks right now. Anyway, I did. So I put together Skullbone Chronicles, which was just a highlight of my previous nine seasons on Carbon TV. And it did so well. And the numbers were so great that then following year, I jumped ship off network TV and went full time on carbon TV. So I have now nine years on the network and now I'm going into my season six of Skullbone Chronicles on carbon TV. And you would say that was probably one of the best decisions to actually jump over there because I know the problem from what I've seen with TV, the networks is they require more of you versus what the uh 
and this is from a podcasting standpoint, because when I joined Carbon TV, it was relatively painless. Yeah. Well, the network, it is a lot more uh, in-depth for providing a network show. You've got parameters. Every half hour show is actually 22. Well, it depends on how much airtime you buy. So like, but you also, no matter what, you pay to be on those networks. Yeah. Sportsman Channel, Outdoor Channel, you pay to be on the network. So there's a huge expense. And then you're paying, like, if I remember correctly, I used to buy uh, two and a half minutes of airtime. So, um, and you can break those up into 15 second, 30 second, 60 second, but I bought two and a half, two and a half minutes of airtime with my show and then they sold the rest, but every half hour show is 22 and a half minutes long. And so you're constrained to four segments of that show versus digital. You could put a five minute episode if you want on there. I mean, I think I did a, I don't know if it was five minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes. I did a make camping great again episode during COVID because people didn't have anything else to do. You know, they yep. could only go outside. And so I was like, why don't we do a show about my favorite camping tips? Because I think it's really relevant right now. I've done a show about how to can bear meat. That's like a 15 minute show. You don't have, you can do on Carbon or even YouTube or other digital networks. You can do a show as short or as long as you want. The reason I chose Carbon TV was because they're owned by hunters. They're never going to, you know, be... You know, they're never going to put the warning label over my show or they're never going to take my show down because I'm hunting predators like YouTube has done to a bunch of my friends. And so that's the reason I went exclusively to Carbon TV is because they're owned by hunters. They're very hunter fisher friendly. And uh, it's just much less my bestie now is CEO. That doesn't hurt. But uh, it's just been a great landing spot. And uh, I've been super happy with them. And now... They've gotten, they've gotten also into the fast channel side of things, which I believe is the future of all TV. So I have Skullbone Chronicles, which is an on-demand network where you can go on and look at the, look at the seasons and pick the episodes you want to watch, just like YouTube. They also are now into fast channels and they've got channels like, you know, the Western channel. Um, they've got, um, oh, I'm going to have a brain freeze. Marty Stouffer's, oh, remember Marty Stouffer? You're probably too young. Marty Stouffer was, he had this animal show of the Rams crashing and he had all this amazing footage. And so he had a kind of like, um, mutual of Omaha's <laughs> wild kingdom. It's kind of like that. Yeah. But so they, he's on there. And anyway, I decided to put together a fast channel of all of my episodes over the last 14 years. And so I have my own Skullbound TV fast channel, which is like, any other TV channel like Nat Geo Discovery, you turn it on and you're going to get commercials, but it just rotates episode after episode. And so it's yeah. super fun. And that's on Carbon TV, as well as 31 other networks that uh, have like Local Now and Rewarded TV that have my channel. And it just, you can go on, um, watch. You never know what's going to come up. It could right. be bears to coyotes to fishing to whatever. Um, but yeah, it's been super fun. And that's all been because of Carbon TV. That is great. Yeah, and I like it. And like I said, I joined Carbon TV and the numbers that I normally get, and I'm being very open about this, is being a relatively new podcast, still just about to enter its second full year, going to year three, basically. But, you know, OK, that makes a little sense offwards. But no, yeah. Well, yeah, I get it. You have to work on them before they even go out. Like, I, yeah, I get you. Yeah. 
And so getting the numbers back from the analytics from Carbon TV versus me on my own is night and day, even though they're probably nothing compared to the analytics that you would get on your shows. To me, it's like, holy cow, I just came over a giant hill, basically. That's so great. That's great to hear. Well, it's really nice to have all your hunting and fishing podcasts or even outdoor related podcasts all in one place. So, you know, when you're driving along, you know, just go to Carbon TV, hit their podcast, you're going to find hunting and fishing. And so that's, it's kind of nice to have that. They're all in one big place. And, um, you know, like anything being new, it it is, it's hard. The first few years were really hard with Skullbound as well. You know, we, uh, and with a podcast too, how, how do people hear about you if you don't have a huge marketing budget to promote your show and promote your podcast? So it can be a challenge, but if you really love doing it and you're, you're spreading a good message and have good conversation, it'll get there. It just takes some time. But you can do it. Yeah. Plus, I think you have a really neat niche. Like we talked about a little earlier, like, you know, I have one of my um, things in life is nearest and dearest to my heart is uh, our veterans. I, you know, I have and and it was I it's just been, I believe, God, a godsend to me in my life. I I've got I never thought that my platform would be used for that kind of thing. I thought my platform would be used to get my message across about, and my main message is that we hunters are the greatest animal lovers on the planet. We do oh, yeah. more for animals, more for wildlife, more for conservation than any other single group in this country. And that is what I really wanted to get across with Skullbound. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a skull artist and that's why we called it that. I've had people go like, Skullbound. Like you just go searching for skulls. I don't quite get it. So it's a little, it's called Skullbone because I'm a skull artist and I have been even way before the show raising money for conservation with my skull art. So yeah. And, but the other, besides conservation, I'm, I'm really passionate about veteran causes and it all stems, goes back to a hunt I did. I think it might've been season three of Skullbound where I took, I was introduced to, uh, from a mutual friend to Bo Richenbeck. He's a double amputee Navy SEAL above the knee. He's only one of two SEALs above the knee, double amputee. And I met him at a uh, Missoula football game and a Grizz game, and it was a fundraiser for him. And we just got to talking and I said, do you ever want to go on an elk hunt? And he's like, yeah, sure. And we, uh, we went on this incredible elk hunt thanks to Rich Bird Cell. And, and he literally climbed the mountains for eight days with his shorties. His, so his prosthetics were really, it was such uneven terrain. This was a hardcore elk hunt. And it was so uh, uh, like mixed terrain that he decided after day one to, to take his prosthetics off and spin his shorties on. And he literally climbed the mountains for eight days. It was incredible. He is wow. just such a warrior. I mean, there's obviously you can see why the guy was a Navy SEAL and went through buds, you know, just mental toughness and um, ended up getting his bull. His dad was there. It was so exciting. It was his first real big game hunt because he didn't hunt as a teenager, even though he's from Montana, because he was really into hockey and his dad carted him around all his hockey games. And so this was the first hunt he and his dad had been on. And so it was just tears all around. It was awesome experience. And I thought, you know, I want to do this at least once a year on the show to be able to tell these incredible warriors, their story, and, and then take them on a hunt. And it's it just intermixes so well. And so oh, yeah. 
actually last season four, not last season five, but season four of Skullbone Chronicles, it's 13 of my absolute favorite veteran episodes. And there's a couple of them where they are, uh, three of them, I think that where they are not um, disabled, but they've seen combat, been through tons of com. no, two of them, been through tons of combat. Um, and so like one was Shelby Hatch. She was a combat medic. And even though she was not disabled, um, I wanted to tell her story that women see combat too. And in mm-hmm. the horrific side effects of combat. Um, PTSD. and then my, pardon me, PTSD. Yeah, exactly. A lot. Yeah. She saw some pretty horrific things. We had an amazing antelope hunt at the Wyoming in Wyoming. For, the Wyoming has an incredible program called the the Wyoming Women's Foundation, and they put on the Wyoming Women's Antelope Hunt every year where they have half of the hunters are scholarship new hunters who've never been hunting before. And then the other half are veteran hunters. And we pair up and we take uh, we take the newbies out there. And I took Shelby out and it was just an incredible nice. hunt on the series. But anyway, a lot I've done a lot of hunts with single, double, and even triple amputees. And on hardcore elk hunts, these are just, you know, these are climbing the mountains. And you can see them all on season four. And it's the season I'm most proud of in all 14 years of Skullbone. Because their stories are incredible. It makes me appreciate my life so much more. My health, um, my freedoms because of warriors like that. And uh, yeah, it's just been a godsend and uh, they're really, they're really fun Sherry's stories to share. Yeah. I understand that my father was a veteran. I have a cousin that's a veteran. I've got buddies that are veterans and served in the military. Uh, Heck, my uncle recently just found out through genealogy that I have a ancestor that fought in the revolutionary war. Wow, that's so cool. So it's I've never of, done that genealogy. I, I think that's fascinating. John mom. has, my husband John has, and he actually is related to Daniel Boone, which is oh. so cool. <laughs> and uh, but he he has an aunt that keeps it all in order. And so he just talked to her the other night about it. But nice. uh yeah, that's really neat. That's that's really neat. I need to do that. Yeah. My mom, she did all this research trying to go back, and then my uncle found out, and then they had to verify it all, and it's just awesome. That's really cool. About that, and speaking of, and I'm just going to segue into Boone real fast. I actually had on historians to talk about Daniel Boone and how he had arthritis so bad that he had to have people help him on his hunts eventually, and yeah, it's something that they don't really talk about with historians and i want to get more into that i want to get more historians on about more historical features eventually about disability in the past with yeah outdoorsmen yeah oh that's fascinating there's a really good show we just watched the first episode the other day called um i think it's called men who made the frontier or men who made america or and they did you see that of daniel did you see the one about daniel boone oh yeah yeah, yeah, that was really fascinating. I didn't know any. They and I don't think they talked about his disability on that, did they? No, they they said because uh, the historian I was talking to was Michael Colleen, and he was talking about how the cold temperatures, the rough weather, mm-hmm. just gave him full body arthritis. I mean, his vision was going eventually. I mean, in, by the age of forty five, and I'm. 38 so i'm up that area where it's like his body was just having a bad day half the time and 
So I understand yeah. his pain. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's sometimes super motivating when you can hear stories like that of, you know, men. Uh, so part of the reason I love to share these combat veteran stories is because these men have been through hell and back. They've had their, they've watched their best friends die. They've had them die in their arms. They've had children die in their arms, like just horrific things. Um, and many of the, many of the men that I've taken hunting have lost limbs and they're just so happy to be alive and happy to ha- and so grateful. And I just find so much motivation through their stories because they're just incredible people. First of all, with I really do believe gratitude in life is the key to everything. Even if you got it tough, finding the gratitude through the toughness and, um, you know, just having that appreciation and, or even discovering it and finding it where it lies. But these guys' stories to me are so motivating when I'm, I've been on some crazy hunts where, well, only one recently where I thought I was literally going to die. Um, and it sounds, it sounds hokey to say that, but it was true. I never knew what a panic attack was until this go hunt. but it was 17 days. It was hardcore. It was four days of scouting, 13 days, hardcore hunting. And I literally was at times on the mountain where I could not go any further. And a, time, a couple of times on the mountain on the day I killed my goat where I thought I might slip and die to my death. Yep. I kept, you know, thinking of Cameron Haynes's friend, Roy, and, you know, people that it does actually happen to. And, um, but then I, I really all the time dig deep into the stories of these guys that I've hunted with and shared, you know, a week in camp with and find motivation of, gosh, I, I'm so lucky. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Let me just take a break. I can keep doing this. And find, you find the motivation in stories like those in season four, where they're just incredible people with, with a lot of physical pain, but just such incredible mental toughness. Yeah. And usually a pain is something that gives you that mental toughness to keep moving yeah. on. Yeah. It, it sucks, but you're going to do it. I have a yeah. buddy in the gym that I go into the gym. I have certain mechanical body mechanics that don't work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, struggling and whatnot and all he has to do or had to do. I haven't talked to him in a little while, but he said, Oh, you giving up there, huh? Just give me that look. And it just like burns in there. <laughs> okay. Let's do this. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm one of those people where you insult yeah. me in just the right way. It's like, <laughs> Okay, you're putting the pride into it. Fine, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's important to have friends like that. Yeah. My mm-hmm. uncle, he didn't remember telling me this, but I was had a little like, I was 21 or 22, just got fired from a job and like coasting on unemployment. And he's like, if you stand still long enough, you're going to fall over. So just put your shoulder down and just keep trudging forward. and that has been one of the best things anybody could ever told me. It's just yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah. It sounds so, it sounds so cliche, but one, one step in front of the other. And, you know, when I, one of my favorite shows you have to go watch is called triple threat and it's Eric Galvin. He's a triple amputee. Um, he was actually going to help his friend who just stepped on an IED and he stepped on one and he's, you know, double amputated and then has no right arm. And he doesn't even have a prosthetic for the right arm, but just imagine. And he just, he's one of my favorite humans because he's, 
happy and he's got such a good attitude, happy to be alive. He's got a beautiful wife. They just had a baby a couple of years ago and he's actually the stay home dad. And so you can imagine what it takes for him just to get ready in the morning. He's, you know, tie your one arm behind your back and not have legs and try to get ready in the morning, you know, and Eric is just this most positive, happy person. And I, I have such yeah. tremendous respect for him and, uh, and so many others like him, but yeah, I, uh, one step in front of the other. Right. That's definitely one of those things. And I know I've had a lot of veterans on and they talk about what's happened to there and them. And I've even had veterans on that lost their legs in a motorcycle accident and then led a four man EOD squad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I've seen that as well. It's incredible. Um, it's just incredible it, that mental toughness and tenacity and, uh, yeah, I, I find inspiration in their stories too. So do you plan on including more than just uh, veterans? Do you plan on taking people with disabilities out on your shows? I show, sorry, eventually, or is it just going to be strictly with Jeff veterans? Because obviously um, I have taken, other, I have taken other, I took my friend, Jason Coker. I met He's, I can't even say his name without laughing because he's just the sweetest soul. Um, yeah. Jason Coger was in an electrical accident. He has no hands. He has prosthetic. He has ro- really cool robotic hands, but he doesn't jealous. use his. Yeah, he doesn't use his robotic hands as much as the hooks, you know, that yeah. are that clamp like this. And uh, I met him at the National Wild Turkey Federation convention because. He was walking through the showroom floor with a shirt that said, look, ma, no hands. And so <laughs> I went up to him. This is years ago. This is 10 years, 12 years ago. I walked up to him and I'm like, obviously, you've got a really good sense of humor. What's your story? And uh, he was riding his four wheeler through his backyard over to his neighbors or parents or something. And he rounded this corner and he came across a downed power line that actually hit him in the chest. And he back, but he was grounded because he was on his four wheeler. So he backs up. He thought it was a dead power line, but he was like, geez, one of these kids is going to take the four wheeler and really get hurt. So he went back to his house and got some help and came back and got off of his four wheeler to prop up the wire. And it was live and it blew him out of his shoes and it actually electrocuted him so bad. It burned his hands and he had to have them removed. But I took him on a whitetail hunt in Illinois and, uh, I owe him another hunt because he wasn't successful, but we had a great time together. And that was an episode on Skullbone that you could see on my fast channel, but I don't have any plans in the future specifically, but what, how I lead that side of things in my show lineup is I just, I get obviously tons of referrals because of my other episodes that I've done. And I, like I said, it's with my schedule, it's super hard. I'm, I'm sort of a one man band. I, uh, <laughs> I literally do all, all my scheduling, all my social media, all my production. I've got my cameraman, Heath, who is amazing, and a, a backup cameraman. But I do all my accounting, all my whatever, all my travel. I go to all the shows. It's a really, really crazy schedule. And I wish I had more time to do more hunts like that. Um, right. But they usually come by referral. Like yesterday, I was on the phone with um, my buddy, Rob, who is an incredible veteran. He's retiring this year. He's a combat controller, special forces. He and I are going elk hunting this year in, um, in Wyoming. And he 
called me last night to say, I want you to meet my friend. And as his friend is a double amputee, an incredible guy, an incredible, uh, he's a veteran dweller, I believe. But, um, and I'm going to, I got his number and we're going to hook up and talk about doing that in 2025. So I wish I had more time, but you, you never know as well. Like I, right. I kind of leave some spots open to do some awesome fishing adventures. And I'm talking awesome, like catching 12 foot sturgeon, um, or big, you know, monster paddlefish, like really unique fishing trips oh, that, yeah. uh, or bow fishing. I took, um, I did a bow fishing trip with Mike Krampitz, who is a veteran and he, uh, suffered from post-traumatic stress and, uh, he spent years not even leaving his house, but we, we just went on a simple bow fishing trip and I think it was pretty life-changing for him and me. It was in Kentucky and we did big heads and silvers, the ones that fly, the ones that, and the Asians that fly out of the waters. Wow. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Yeah. Um, and so you never know, I might, you know, I might find time even during this year to be able to schedule one or two more. Um, but I wish I had time for, there's, there's a lot of times that I look forward to retiring the show. So I'd have more time to do more hunts <laughs> that I wanted to. <laughs> right. You're like, okay. Yeah. We've been on longer than meat eater. We can do more, a little bit more. <laughs> That's funny. Then That's a good retire. benchmark. <laughs> yeah. It's like, then we're going to retire to Montana before Steve does. Yeah. <laughs> I live in Utah now. A lot of people don't know. They think, still think I'm a Montana gal. I, uh, I got married this June and I moved to Utah with my husband, John, who is an auctioneer and, um, Yep. I live in, in the beautiful state of Utah. It's absolutely beautiful here. I love it. It's very underrated. It is crowded when you go into the city, but in the mountains, it's gorgeous. There's not as much Western hunting opportunities as there are in Montana and Idaho, but even a non-resident, you pay a little bit more for the tags, but there's still good opportunity in those states. So yeah. I'll go back every year and run my bear baits in Idaho and hunt Montana for hopefully deer, elk, non-res tag, and uh, bears over the counter. Mountain lion is over the counter. So there's still a lot of great hunting in the States that I'm no yeah. longer a resident. Well, I know a great nonprofit in Utah, Disabled Outdoorsman Utah yep. chapter. Yep. I've, t I've talked to them way early on in the podcast. I, I, I can't even remember the number right now, <laughs> <laughs> but I know it was in the tens, if not earlier, but I talked to Sydney Smith of, and I got to catch up with him. Yeah. But if you're ever wanting to help out with a nonprofit, that one's a great one to do. They I've heard of that. I have heard of them and they are great. Um, isn't Sydney try no feet. Isn't that, I don't yep. know about you, but I know Instagram night handles more than he is the nicest, sweetest guy. I see him um, often at the hunt expo, which is coming yeah. up this February. So yeah, he's an inspiration, isn't he? He's just yeah. nonstop taking kids and, uh, you know, hunting himself and taking family members and kids. And yeah, yeah he's amazing. He's yeah, really if amazing. He, if he can go up on a mountain and come back down and then end up on the way down, breaking his prosthetic <laughs> and still trying to beat a storm coming down <laughs> to repair said prosthetic, I can go up a mountain. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you are planning out to, so if anybody's, listening, wondering if they want to hunt with her and through recommendation plan out for 2026 yeah, or seven. <laughs> yeah. We'll go with 27. That works well. <laughs> well, it's just, unfortunately that, um, you know, so many other like 
so many other things get in the way. But at the same time, like I, uh, though I, I truly mean it when I say that go watch season four, those are the highlights of my life, even more so than my own hunts. Um, you know, I've been super blessed to be on some incredible backcountry adventures. But when I think of what hunts to me were the most emotional and the most um, rewarding, it's watching these guys, you know, especially, you know, if they have an amputation. So even a single, double, but even triple, it's watching these guys get up on their bull elk and because it's mostly elk that I do get up on their bull elk in the mountains. And when they wrap their hands around this big, majestic, enormous animal after days on end of sweating and crying, <laughs> it being a hard hunt, like those moments in time, I mean, I'm just a cry. They call me the cryptech cry baby. It's because I cry on almost every episode, but they're tears of joy. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. If you're not feeling something when you harvest an animal, you're, I don't know what to say. I mean, when yep. I harvested the buck behind me um, that I just got back, I shot him and I'm from a ground blind perspective. So I didn't see any blood and I just start looking where he went and I didn't wait. I didn't wait Jack and you know, <laughs> went out there and I saw him laying down and looking at me. And luckily the brush wasn't too thick so I could see him and I didn't move. And I just walked away and walked up to the house and came back about a half hour later. Yep. He's done. Oh, that's so exciting. I've been in that position. I even was, I was in that position of him bedded down, looking back at me on a hunt where I, it's funny because I'm, I'm deathly afraid of heights. Like, yeah. even though I'm a tree stand hunter, I not happily. Um, and it took me so long to get comfortable with a climber tree stand because I was always so afraid I was going to slip, you know, and either get trapped up there with just the front half and not know what to do or like slip down during the whole thing. And I finally, I got, finally got one, got fairly comfortable with it, ended up arrowing my biggest buck out of it. And when I shot him, I mean, everything, it was one of those where I was literally pulling my, I just got up and I was pulling my bowstring up. It's two o'clock in the afternoon during the rut. And I look and here he comes. And I'm like, <laughs> so hurry, hurry, hurry. I hustle up, I get my bow. I think I put, I've got, I've already had my, my uh, release on, I clip. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. I draw back and shoot. It happened that fast. And I felt good about the shot. And it was only like a literally 15, 16 yard shot. Oh, yeah. And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe that just happened. Like, I was just freaking out. Like, holy cow. And I sat down and I looked at, I always give it a half hour, even though that's super hard to do. And I sat, oh, there, yeah. and sat there and I, I, I've taken my binoculars. I'm trying to see if I see blood on the ground, you know, and. I see what I think is my arrow sticking straight up and down in the ground. And I'm like, well, that's weird. But hopefully it went through them first and then just ricocheted off something and it's sticking yeah. straight. Okay. So I, I end up shimmying myself, which probably took another half hour, down the tree. And I go down to investigate the arrow. And there is not one drop of blood on this. Not one. How? And now that in retrospect, how this arrow passed through both sides of a buck with not one drop of blood on it. Still, I have no idea and how it ended up straight up and down in the ground. But I, and then I found some drops of blood, went back to the cabin, waited till dark. My dad came in. He went back out there with me. We found the blood, found a really good blood trail, but it was kind of the, like uh, that terrain that's kind of rolly and hilly where you, 
you can't really see more than 20 yards because you go to the next little bump and then you can see 20, 30 yards and go to the next little bump. Well, I kept following the blood and we come over and, and I shine my light and blink, blink, blink. <laughs> there he is looking back at me and I'm like, oh no, like, you know, this is, yeah, like, eh. so I turned my light off. We creep back out, go back in the next morning and it w- he was right. He, well, he'd actually already been half eaten by coyotes. They oh. jumped him up another 20, 30 yards. But yeah, I've had that, which is terrifying because you think, you know, Am I going to get him? Is he going to get spooked? Is something else going to spook him? And is he going to run? I've been there. So congratulations. It's a beautiful mount behind you. Yep. So is every single mount behind you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm kind of addicted to taxidermy. (laughs) My my wife doesn't want me to get too many taxidermies. She thinks uh, she's not the one to get taxidermy. She grew up on hunting. Her father got me into hunting. He had mounts, skulls, Europeans, the works. And and she just doesn't like it one bit. And she's like, if you pass away, then we'll go into your cousin. <laughs> so I don't know where mine are going. So probably my stepson, Brandon, will take a couple. But yeah, I I'll love take the moose. I'll get you down for that. I love taxidermy so much. Uh, We have it in literally every single room of our house, including bathrooms. Well, not every bathroom, but it is in some bathrooms. Um, But yeah, the downstairs, the upstairs, the third level is nothing. If you don't like taxidermy, yeah, you might not want to come over. (laughs) (laughs) I like taxidermy. Me too. I I, want to get more, but I want to get more than just white-tailed deer. Yeah. I love whiteies. I have quite the collection. You know, I hunted whitetails. Oh, I do the math. Um, you know, 15 years. No. Yeah. When did I, how old was I when I started? Yeah. 15, 15, 18 years before I started Skullbound. So, yeah. and, and that was my main thing. I was archery whitetail. And then when I moved out West with Skullbound, you know, then came everything else. And, you know, I've really, if there was one species I hunt more than anything else, it's bears. Mm-hmm. I hunt, Idaho every year, Montana every year. This year I'll hunt Prince of Wales. I'll hunt Alaska for grizzly. And so I've uh, become quite the bear lover. I love them. I love to hunt them. I love to just watch them. I love to eat them. (laughs) I love to taxidermy them. Um, Yeah, I love them. But yeah, it's been really an incredible journey of branching, not only out of archery into, so I started out with archery and then branched into long range rifle hunting, which is kind of funny. It's mostly opposite of what a lot of people do. But um, I then started muzzle loader hunting. Then I started pistol hunting. So I literally love every species and every weapon. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm stuck with crossbow and muzzle loader or because, you know, the private land I get, I can get, with Indiana, you got a three tag system with mm-hmm. the bundle pack. So you can get with your archery or crossbow tags, you can get a buck and then a doe or two does, uh, antlers, excuse me, and then an antlered if you don't get them in those, those seasons. So yeah, I got my buck and my doe in archery season with a crossbow. And so had to sit out the entirety of of firearms because you can only get a freaking uh buck with that on public land at all one buck yeah yep and then so muzzleloader comes up and i didn't get out this year for muzzleloader and i was wanting to yeah 
Like, yeah, it's too bad. I don't I don't know Indiana's um, system or their numbers. Um, Wisconsin's got a great system, I think, all over the counter. And then you can have an archery tag and a rifle tag. Now, I don't, I never muzzle, muzzle loader hunted Wisconsin. Um, I'm thinking it's this, you get one buck with rifle or muzzle loader. I don't think you get a, a second buck with muzzle loader, but, or third, I should say. Yeah. But yeah, you do get to archery hunt and you can take a buck and then you get to rifle hunt and you can take a buck. Yeah. So it, that's kind of. Yeah. I know it's different, but it, they, and I talked to Tony Peterson about this is like Indiana is not so much of a sleeper state as they say, because we have big bucks. And I think the one buck rule definitely helped out. But Yeah. Yeah. Now um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, and we're going back to TV shows. I know we've been talking about TV shows and hunting a lot. What are your personal thoughts on disability based outdoor media? How would you approach that? Well, of course I'm all for it. Obviously I, uh, you know, I've taken a ton of disabled people hunting. I think it hunting and fishing can be such an incredible outlet for mm -hmm. people with disabilities from kids to elderly. Um, yeah. you know, it's first of all, mother nature is so healing in and of itself. It's physically healing because of the energy the earth provides. The sunlight is so good for you. It's just fresh air is good for the body. It's just, I think, mental, physical health, um, a good component of both is getting out in the outdoors. And then, of course, meat. I'm um, a big, huge proponent of wild game meat and organic as organic can be. Um, all that is so good. As far as a TV show, there's been a lot of TV shows, actually, that have been on other networks um, that are all disability hunting shows. There used to be one on Sportsman's. This is a while back. This is 14, 15 years ago when I started. I can't remember the name of it. The problem is it being is that it's so expensive, you know. Yeah. But as far as getting a show on a digital network, which I would go that way anyway now because it's people want free TV. And they want TV now, yeah. like when they want to watch it. If they're on a break at work, they want to watch it on their app on their phone. If they're, you know, at night, they if they want... Carbon TV is so great because it's a free app on your phone, but you can also now cast it to your TV through a smartphone. You can put it on your TV through any Roku stick, any Fire Stick. If you've got even any Vizio TV, you can put it right there. All you got to do is go to the Apps tab, find Carbon TV, hit Home Screen button, click, and there it is on your TV. Yep. It's super easy. And it's free to watch and it's free to be on it. So that's the route I would take. Um, the one thing that would be helpful in starting to produce a show that was all disabled related is to have a bunch of people involved who are willing to donate their time. Obviously, yeah. it's very costly to pay for cameramen every day, editors every day. Um, you know, but if you can find a platform like Carbon TV that's free to be on and yeah. you've got people who are, you know, able to film and you've got hunting and fishing opportunities I think it's a great, easy possibility, actually. I'd like to do it similar to dirty jobs in a way. Instead yeah. of instead of saying, Hey, you want to go on this big hunt with me, it's hey, can I join you on your stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And, and see how they act in their environment. So fishing, hunting, and I really want to get trappers. Oh yeah. 
That is such a, honestly, people don't understand the necessity of trapping. Um, they really don't. They think you're trapping for the fur. No, oh, yeah. the, I mean, that is one of the reasons you trap, but more so than not, you're trapping because these predators are doing tremendous damage on the turkeys, on the deer, on a lot, you know, the bears do a tremendous amount. People don't trap bears, but, you know, the predators out here in the West, we've got them all. Wolf, yeah. mountain lion, tons of bobcats, uh, tons of mountain lion, bears. People don't understand that predator trapping and predator hunting is crucial to other wildlife. No, oh, I yeah. think you should definitely add that on. Oh, yeah. I know with trapping, and we're getting on to the subject of trapping a little bit, they... I. Well, I think it was Minnesota or Wisconsin or one of the Dakotas. I'm not too certain, but they actually instituted and started paying people for hot for coon hides because they were just getting out of control and they're yeah. killing ground nesting birds and ducks. And so waterfowl yep. season, turkey season is just going to get hammered with miso predators. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Utah is one of the only states that has a bounty on coyotes because they do such tremendous damage on the mule deer population. And they'll pay, I think it's 50 bucks, a, 25 bucks or 50 bucks a coyote. Don't quote me. Uh, look it up online. But right. yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bounty and it's been, it's a successful program and it's been working. And, you know, everybody loves to watch wildlife in their backyard, including you know, suburbanites love to have the deer and the turkeys in their yard. And unfortunately, sometimes those can get overnumbered as well. But if we want to have sustainable populations, predator management is just a part of it. It's a part of the puzzle that has to be implemented. And I think it'd be really good for you to include trapping and actually how to trap. You know, there's not, it's, it, it was such a thing back in the day, you know, our grandfathers and great grandfathers, a lot of them trapped. And it's just gotten to be where society looks at it as such a negative and poo-poos it. Um, I, uh, I have a kid friend on Instagram who questions me all the time about trapping. And I'm usually referring to John because he used to trap quite a bit. I've never trapped myself, but uh, I love it that he's getting into it all himself. And he, he's like, I'm just going and watching YouTube videos and trying to, you know, he caught his first raccoon the other day. He was so excited and you know, it's a, it's a lost art, and that would be a really cool thing to, I think, have on your show. Yeah. Well, that's still on the back burner. Podcast first, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you got to dream big and talk about it all the time and manifest that stuff. Yeah. Go big or go home. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what would you say is in the future for the next five years for Skull Brown? <sighs> five I know. Years. I asked the question. I asked a big question. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Gets me thinking. Um, I'm not question. sure. I honestly, my, I do kind of have a next five year plan and that is keeping the train going down the tracks of how it's going right now. Mm. Um, I've always been, I'm less of a goal setter than I am about really listening to my intuition and where I get pulled to. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying on Carbon TV. It's been so great for me. Um, I love the network. I love the people, all that work there. Um, I love the ease of the network. Um, I love my business model too with um, being on Carbon and Heath, my cameraman. He's so awesome to work with. I don't see changes there at all. Um, I put out 12 episodes a year and it doesn't sound like that much, but for me it is, um, especially when traveling a lot and, you know, um, 
doing all the things that I do for my partners in terms of social media, that has actually been a shift we could talk a little bit about. So like when I started out, social media was not a big part of my media kit. When I have my partners and say, okay, this is what I present to you. This is what my numbers were. These are what my eyeballs look like. Yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, with, when I started TV social, I don't even, I didn't even have an Instagram account. Um, and now a big part of what I do for my partners is still the show, but a more, it's as much as important as to what I do on social media for them. And I'm so lucky. I work with the greatest companies. I've been with almost all of my companies from day one on X maps, day one, uh, vortex day one Cryptech was like year two. I believe I met them, but, uh, Nasler day one, I'm with the same partners I've been with for 14 years. And they're just incredible people to work with. I believe in all their products. I, I literally use everything I talk about. Yeah. And um, and I've just been really, really lucky that way. Um, but I, I don't hopefully see that changing anytime soon. Um, I'm really involved in conservation. You know, I work really closely with the Mule yeah. Deer Foundation, um, Sportsman's for Fish and Wildlife a bit with, and my husband's very involved with them. Um, we go to, he's an auctioneer and he auctions a lot of the conservation banquets. He's this week flying to, uh, Safari club next week, sheep show. He's got hunt expo. And then every single weekend from here on out through the end of April, he's auctioning for sportsmen for fish and wildlife, which is a lot. It's a lot of weekends. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I don't see a whole lot of change in my five-year plan with Skullbound. I have my fast channel just really launched big time this last year. And yeah. so when my episodes go out, all the new ones go on to Skullbound Chronicles for one year, and then they go shift onto my fast channel and they just all circulate. So season six, you, you can only see it on Chronicles on Carbon TV, but then all my other episodes just rotate on my fast channel on Carbon TV or local now or rewarded TV or all the other 31 networks that they're on. And I see trying to really develop that more too. Some of the networks are brand new and you've never heard, I've never even heard of them, but they're free apps or free apps you can put on your TV. And they're just trying to collect channels as well. People with tons of content. Yeah. And so with a five-year plan, I think that uh, probably a focus on my fast channel is going to be a big key, but uh, I'm newly married. I just want to enjoy being married and spending time with my husband and uh, he, all he cares about is coyote hunting. <laughs> so, uh, well, a little bit of, we're both going on a grizzly bear hunt this June and that's the biggie, biggie hunt of the year. And he's, yeah. we've been together and we've just never gotten one. And so um, we're both really excited to go up to Alaska this June, but otherwise just try to keep the train moving down the tracks and, and counting my blessings. Yeah. Well, I hope that definitely comes into play. I, and you get your bear this year. And thank you. I, I don't see from the background, I'm just seeing all the deer in the back, the deer, the bear, the elk, the antelope, the pronghorn. I do not like calling them uh, antelope. I don't know why, but I just. Oh, I call them speed goats, pronghorn, antelope. They're, I yeah. mean, they've got but, a lot of nicknames. <laughs> yep. And I know you got the moose as the centerpiece in the background. And yeah. holy cow, that is on my to do list along with. Uh, a mountain cheater, a mountain goat hunt, but I, uh, my moose hunt was such an epic adventure. In fact, it was really fun yesterday. I was on the treadmill in the gym and I always put my fast channel on because I want to 
literally it's been 14 years. I have forgotten about half the episodes I've filmed. Yeah. And so yesterday I was on and here comes my moose hunt. No, that was two days ago. And I was sitting having coffee and I turned it on to see what was on it. And it's like, it was so fun. I'm sitting in my living room watching my moose hunt, looking at my moose on the, on the fireplace. Like, you know, that even though filming your hunts is a ton of work and yeah. half the time you wish it wasn't, you didn't have to worry about the camera and catching this and that and shooting spine interviews and batteries in the backcountry and all oh, the, yeah. you know, cause this was a backcountry Alaska moose hunt, but it is so fun to be able to watch these hunts you know, go down again and have these visual memories that you can, you know, revert back to. It's, it's super fun, but like, I, oh, hope yeah, you get, I did that. I, yeah. I hope you get to go on your moose hunt someday. It, it, it's an amazing experience. They're just gigantic animals. I know. I definitely will not have to worry about food for quite a while. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, you're not doing deer hunting this year. <laughs> have you seen the rack of the thing I just hit? My wife's still <laughs> you, trying to get me to not put it up. You will fill your entire freezer, I'm telling you. I literally have a small, tiny freezer. I need to get a stand-up. Yep. Well, put that up before you go on your moose hunt. <laughs> Honey, <laughs> we I need to buy a stand-up immediately. Plug that in, yeah. <laughs> yep. This year, my wife and I will be married for 12 years. So. Oh, that's so nice. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a one heck of a roller coaster. And it probably still will be for the next however long eternity is hey if you have a passionate life and you're a passionate person you can have a bit of a roller coaster i honestly i think a roller coaster is part of the journey it really yeah. is i think that i don't know one person in my life that has had an easy ride the whole way it just yeah. that's not what life is about it's how to maybe make the dips and the and the drops not so big yeah. but everybody's on their own roller coaster and it's just learning how to maneuver and learning how to, you know, deal with one another and handle the the stressful situations when they come. And then hopefully the older you get, the ride doesn't become, it becomes more of a kiddie ride instead of hardcore roller coaster. Oh yeah. You want to coast to the end. Not, yeah. um, <laughs> not what the heck is the corkscrew doing here? Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> Do you want to tell anybody, uh, tell my guests where to reach you? Sure. Um, if you want to watch episodes, they're on Carbon TV. If anyone's been listening, that's all I've been talking about. So uh, Carbon TV, it is a free app on your phone. It's a free app on your TV, and you can put it on your TV through a Roku stick, Fire Stick, uh, Vizio TV, Samsung TV, um, or even Aircast it from your smartphone. Uh, social media, it's me. I run my own social. I'm uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It is Skullbound or Skullbound Chronicles. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i a goofball. I love to make fun. I, I get through life by laughing at things. And so I tend to be a goofball on Instagram more than any of the other platforms. But uh, lots of hunting, lots of fishing, lots of cooking, and lots of goofball. So yeah. <laughs> As also, I'm also on Carbon TV. So yeah. if you want to find the podcast, there it's there as well. Under podcast tab, you'll find my uh, my uh, lucky mug holding the buck, white background. Oh. <laughs> That's so great. I love it. Right. Yep. So thank you, Jana, for be coming on. It's been fun. We definitely have uh, talked a lot. 
which is always the fun part because it's a podcast. You have to talk. Yeah. And we're both, both Midwesterners. I knew it was going to happen, yep. but no, thank you so much, Sean. This has been a real treat chatting with you. Um, I hope that uh, people tune in and get a little bit of inspiration from my incredible warriors that I've been able to share the mountain time with. And uh, hopefully let's jump on another podcast after this next year and, and do some more chatting and hopefully maybe go on a hunt someday together. Hey, that sounds like a great plan. I like that. <laughs> but so thank you, Jana, again for coming on. And remember, everybody, stay adaptive.